0: This season of A Long Road Home is sponsored by Pulse. Pulse is a rapid response service that comes to your rescue when you need help fixing or setting up a connected device. Let's say you're in your car and you're listening to your favorite podcast. When you get to your destination, you get out and bam, it happens. You drop your phone at the perfect angle and you smash the screen. That's when you call Pulse. Just go to the Pulse website to schedule an appointment online, by phone, or by chat, and they'll send you a repair technician within 60 minutes. They only use the highest quality parts and will complete your repair while you wait. Most of the repairs only take about 20 minutes and they cost the same thing that you would pay if you took your phone all the way back to wherever you bought it. Pulse offers nationwide service and they fix iPhones, iPad, Google Pixels, Samsung, almost every device. For those of you who are listening in California, Pulse also offers device setup services. So if you're looking for help mounting a new TV, installing a connected speaker, or setting up your home alarm, a Pulse technician will do the heavy lifting and setup while you sit back and relax. Need to get your phone or tablet fixed? Want help setting up a connected device? Go to Pulse.com. That's P-U-L-S dot com. And use the promo code PODCAST for $20 off your first order. Pulse, the rapid response service for your digital life. listeners, and welcome to the first episode of the second season of the A Long Road Home podcast. In this season, our podcast is going to tell a story about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But before we get into that, I want to give you a little background on this podcast. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, my name is Ben Shapiro, and I'm the producer of the podcast. A Long Road Home is a series of real-world stories from the people behind the apps that you and I use every day. My goal for creating this podcast is to shine a light on some of the people you and I encounter through the use of on-demand technology. If you missed it, in our first season, we tell the story of Chol Charles Ryu, who defected from North Korea to become a Lyft driver in Silicon Valley. It's an amazing story, and I highly recommend that you circle back and give it a listen when you have a chance. For those of you who are rejoining us, I want to take a second to do some quick housekeeping. So far, a few thousand people have downloaded the Along Road Home podcast. First off, I want to stop and say thank you. When I started this project, I wasn't sure if anyone would listen, and your interest and support means the world to me. As a thank you, I've revised the format of this podcast so you can enjoy our stories with fewer interruptions. We've also created a Twitter account, which is at... Long Road Home Pod, so you can send us your thoughts and questions. Okay, so on to the task at hand. Season 2 of the Long Road Home Podcast. In this season, we're going a different direction. Truthfully, I thought it was going to be hard to follow a story about escaping from North Korea with another story about how someone made it to the United States. So instead... We're going to hear from someone who grew up in my hometown and has dealt with an issue that has touched millions of people across this country. Hart Bothwell is a singer-songwriter that grew up in an upper-middle-class suburb south of San Francisco, and he now drives for Uber and Lyft in North Carolina. At an early age, he was forced to deal with divorce, depression, and social anxiety, which led him into an opiate addiction that almost ruined his life. Hart bravely and openly walks us down his path into and out of addiction and explains how his sense of self, relationship, and his love for music have been shaped by his struggles and recovery. Hart's willingness to tell his story of opiate addiction and recovery is something that I not only think highlights an all-too-common issue, but it also sheds light into the process of recovery and rediscovery, which I think is fascinating and inspiring. I hope you enjoy listening to this season of the Along Road Home podcast as much as I've enjoyed making it. Here's a preview of what we'll discuss.
1: They got married very young. I remember a bullet going through our window when they told me they were going to get divorced. It was a shock. My mom was remarried six months after. We don't face anything emotional. I got depressed and I just stopped caring. I just wasn't a good student, but I did have a knack for music. I don't want to be thinking what I'm thinking anymore. That was the first time I ever got drunk. I felt like I should be very angry and sad. Girls trying to be cool and fit in. We had a ska band called Optimus Prime. That was the biggest thing that I had that meant the most to me during that time. I wasn't aware of any negative consequences at the time, but I think there were warning signs. I just started experimenting. It was a horrible trip. I just wanted them to approve with me, so I am gonna do it too.
0: I'm here with Hart Bothwell. Hi. So welcome to a long road home.
1: Thanks. It's good to be here. Great. Uh, thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, so to start off, you know, I'd just love to hear a little bit about your background and, and where you grew up and so tell us your story.
1: All right. Well, My parents were both from a small town in northern Michigan called Central Lake, which has about a population of 700, and they met in high school, and this northern Michigan's like really beautiful during the spring and summer, rather. In the winter, it's more like the Arctic, and it's crazy. I mean, it's just, there's nothing like that in San Francisco, obviously. You go up to Lake Tahoe, and that's nothing like it. It's just, it's a different world during the winter but it's a beautiful place. And that's where my folks are from. So they're kind of like small town people, which-
0: High school sweethearts.
1: High school sweethearts, small town people. That's not like a condescending term. It's just a different sensibility actually. Cause there's a lot of very awesome people from this area. My cousins and other family members who've done crazy things. So anyway, my mom and my dad from Michigan, they both went to college. And then in Western Michigan, and Kalamazoo, Michigan, and then my dad went to law school and he got a law degree and then he got a job out in San Francisco. And so they moved out to San Francisco to the big city and had my brother and then they had me. I spent my early years up until the age of seven in San Francisco living in Glen Park. I mean, I love San Francisco. It's just, it's a very... Yeah, it feels like home to me, and I, a lot of recognizable places from my very young ages. So.
0: so let me let me ask you a question. Your dad and mom met in high school. Your dad became a lawyer, yeah. moved out here for his job. What did your mom do?
1: Well, she majored in psychology, but she was a housewife slash mom for a while, and then later she became a teacher. But
0: mm-hmm. yeah, it
1: was kind of very like traditional. My mom's Catholic.
0: When did they move out here?
1: They moved out here in 1980,
0: I want to say, or 79, maybe. Okay. Late 70s, early 80s. That's right.
1: Yeah, they moved out together. And obviously, coming from where they came from, it's very, very different. They got married very young, and they're 20 or something. And I think moving out to a big place might have put a different perspective on things. And they kind of grew apart, or maybe they realized that they weren't that close But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So I lived in San Francisco until I was seven, then we moved out to a town where you're from, to Burlingame, which is like 20 minutes south of San Francisco, beautiful place. It doesn't have the fog that San Francisco has, so that was nice. It was more suburban.
0: Was your dad still working as a lawyer when you guys moved? What caused the move to Burlingame?
1: It did have to do with the feeling of it being safe and just being more pleasant Mm -hmm. and laid back in Burlingame. I remember a bullet going through a window in Glen Park in San Francisco and then like a few other incidents is where it just felt to them or maybe we should bounce. And I think that's what happened. I'm not sure exactly.
0: So your parents came out to San Francisco, had the two kids, lived in a neighborhood they weren't thrilled with, and then decided to head out to the suburbs, live a more peaceful lifestyle.
1: Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I think the bullet going through the window it was my parents' bedroom. That might have freaked them out. <laughs>
0: Yeah. would freak me out. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me, how old were you when you moved?
1: I was seven. I don't know. It wasn't that hard. I don't remember being that. It was just different. It was like a very different kind of culture that I was moving into. I noticed that, but it wasn't hard. It was just an adjustment.
0: Why do you say the culture is different? What was different about it?
1: Well, my first elementary school was like, there was a lot of black people, (laughs) definitely more black people than white people. And Going out to Burlingame was almost all white. You can't not notice that. As a kid, you don't know what the significance of that is or what it implies, but it just was different. Okay. It didn't affect me emotionally. It was just some different and uh, got used to it. I made friends and life was very kind of idyllic. We would go out like summers. Every summer, we'd go out to Michigan, and see relatives, and we'd go to other places, go on trips and. It was very blessed life and childhood and upbringing. I loved it. I remember loving it. I think I was always kind of an emotional, slightly whiny kind of kid. I liked things the way I liked them. So that was my life. And then when I was about 10 years old, my parents tell me that they're going to get divorced. And I think I took it really hard because a few things. One, like I just said, I like my routines. I like things the way they are. I change it it works. When they told me they were going to get divorced, it was a shock. I wasn't happy about it. So that was very hard to see my dad unhappy. My mom wasn't happy either, but my dad really wasn't. So that was, it was just kind of like one of those things where like, oh, your whole life has just changed. That's how I took it. It was like, this is bad. And it messed with my head, I think. And my mom was remarried six months after to a person
0: Before we get into that, I I want to hear that story. But you mentioned something about, as a child, you liked your routine. Is that something that you knew then? Or is that something that, you know, in retrospect, you've realized about yourself?
1: Definitely retrospect. I didn't know that then. I think I just was a generally happy person, but wasn't as open as some kids were, more as go with the flow. Looking back, that seems clear to me. I just was like... Oh, you say we go to bed at 8? Then that's what I'm going to do. I don't want to stay. Like I remember hanging out with friends when I was a real little kid, and when it was time to go to bed, I wanted to go to bed. And some kids wanted to keep playing, that type of thing. So it was what it was.
0: Mm-hmm. Sounds like you, looking back, realize that you sort of thrive on consistency. Is that fair?
1: That's fair, yeah.
0: It's true. Not to do a bunch of psychoanalysis, so just knowing a little bit more about your story, I think that it's an interesting thing to realize that as a child, consistency was something that you thrived on. and Totally. I'll let you tell the rest of the story with your parents.
1: I mean, that was it. Consistency, something I thrived on. And I think our family culture was more like we didn't air our grievances and we didn't express ourselves emotionally. And I think I never saw my parents fight. It was more like they'd be in the kitchen whispering about something. And what's that? I have no clue. I'm not going to think about it. And my parents never really got mad at me. It was more just like... So it was just kind of like a lot of secrecy or just like, oh, no, we don't face up to emotional things because we're fine. And I think a lot of people do that. And I think that's what I was used to. And so like the idea of anything emotional, like seeing my folks upset was very shocking to me. I was 10 years old and it blew my mind, I think.
0: How did they tell you? They just came
1: into the room where me and my brother were watching TV and they sat down and told us. And it was awful. It was awkward and really sad, I guess. Yeah. When I think about adults, I know now that I'm an adult, like getting divorced, it doesn't seem like the saddest thing. It doesn't seem like, all right, whatever. But as a kid, it was like these two gods in my life were very good people, very like loving towards me. And that happening, the splitting up of this world seemed horrible to me.
0: Okay. So you mentioned that your mom was remarried relatively shortly after. Tell me a little bit about that.
1: I think a month or so before my parents got divorced. My dad had a coworker and our families became friends. I was friends with his son so that couple got divorced like a month before my parents got divorced. And then about six months or a year later, my mom was married to that man who was a coworker of my dad. And I was suddenly living with my friend who was his son and his sister too.
0: So let me walk through that. Your dad's coworker and him become friends the coworker splits up with his wife. Your parents get a divorce, and somewhere between six months to a year later, your mom and the coworker get married mm-hmm. and then you move to the coworker's house. Where were you living? What was life like?
1: Well, yeah, I start doing week to week one week at my mom and my dad's ex coworker's house
0: your stepfather
1: my stepfather's house, yeah. I guess like I was the type of kid, like I said, we don't like to express ourselves, so I didn't complain about anything, but I did passive-aggressive sort of behavior. Like I never smiled in the pictures at their wedding, I think, and that was (laughs) intentional, but I didn't really express it. I I didn't complain. I was not happy, though. I didn't like the situation. It seemed like bullshit that I would have to live that, because even at 10 years old, I knew that this was a major betrayal, and this was a scandal, and this isn't normal. Inside, I wanted to be like, fuck you. I'm not going to live with you. But I still like needed my mom's love. and I still loved her. and I didn't want to lose her. So started doing that and living with them. And it wasn't horrible. It wasn't like they were abusive or anything like that. I just didn't like it. But then you grow and you just get used to it. And it becomes normal. I did get to hang out with my stepbrother and stepsister a lot, who I love. And I'm still close with. Them. So that was a major benefit for me. Okay. So like I'm in junior high, I do remember that happening, that was a change in my life and I know my interest in school just kind of fell off. I was a good student, I was on top of my things for whatever reason and then I think I got depressed and I just stopped caring in junior high and I started getting bad grades and in my family school has been very important. My two step siblings and my older brother are all straight A students. and I was C's and D's and I got B's and P's and stuff. But like, I mean, C's are not horrible, but I felt like a failure at that age. And there was a lot of pressure to get better and thought something was wrong with me. But I think I was just depressed and I didn't care.
0: It sounds like your grades were not a reflection of your ability. They were impacted by your desire. There was something else that was stopping you from applying yourself.
1: I think so. I started just thinking about the world and life, and I started spacing out more, and I couldn't focus because I was like, what is this? What's going on? Why is it like this? What does it mean? I thought it was all good. I had my family, and we were all good people, and now it seems like it's doggy dog world. It's a big, bad world, and I guess that's something we all face to a certain degree, or we have to face certain aspects of that. So I think I was just thinking about that a lot, and it was distracting. And depressing.
0: So tell me what happens next. How does that manifest itself? So I just wasn't really a good student, but I did have a knack
1: for music. I remember I wanted a guitar for Christmas. And one of the good things about the divorce was my parents both bought me things. So I got like double the amount of stuff because they both wanted to make me happy. And I couldn't help but benefit from that. And so I remember sixth grade, I got. A guitar for my mom and a guitar for my dad. And suddenly I was like, that was it. I was going to learn guitar and started practicing. And by seventh grade, I was in a band and we played like Oya Como Va and House of the Rising Sun. I sang that at the talent show, or at least like some of the lyrics. I didn't bother to learn all of it and come as you are.
0: So why were you so attracted to music? I don't know. I just felt like it made
1: sense. I think it was expressing what I couldn't express in my regular life. It was just like these guys and women singing express like an emotion, sometimes anger, sometimes sadness, sometimes just like pure ecstasy. But it was just like expressing it. And you're not really allowed to do that in school or at home, just like going off balls to the wall. Like, I'm just going to say it. And then when you sing it, when you add music to it, it makes it all the more powerful. That was it. That made sense to me, and I wanted to do that. And it seemed like, oh, this is the most powerful thing you could do. I don't know what else is more powerful than this. It's so mysterious, and it's so like, speaks to the mystery of the universe. I mean, that's just my opinion.
0: But- yeah, no. <laughs> Listening to you, it sounds like a little bit of it was, it's an outlet for self-expression, right? Where you didn't feel like you could do that at home, and didn't feel like you could do it at school. And you had a lot of questions about why things work and all of a sudden the world was a different place and music served as an outlet. Is that fair?
1: Totally. And I'm not one of those people who thinks about things in a very micro level. Like I think about things in abstract ways, which I think was one of the reasons why I wasn't very good in school after all. Remembering things, details, or it was more like big concepts, like the why and the how, but not like the what and the when and the where. I wasn't very good at it. So I think music was kind of like, that's what that's all about. It's not about giving the, all the answers or something.
0: Okay, so you like music because of the sort of ability to tell a story and sort of talk about things in the abstract as opposed to getting into great details. You mentioned a couple of the songs that you were playing, Oye Como Va, House the Rising Sun, you're playing covers at this point. You're in 7th grade.
1: Yeah, those are just songs that have licks that you can learn pretty easily. Like, Come As You Are, at the time, everybody knew that because it was just like one lick. And then, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And then, like, oh, Yeah," "Come Va is the same thing. And so, those are easy songs to like, dude, check it out. I could play this on guitar. And it's like slightly impressive to other people who are also in 6th grade. So... I think those songs, there's nothing significant about them in particular. I mean, Come As You Are is a great song. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I mean, House of the Rising Sun always blew my mind. That's an unbelievable song. I remember songs like The Beatles, Across the Universe. That was mind-blowing. I didn't know what the hell he was talking about, but something about the words. Just, I get it, man. I get it, man. It's mind-blowing, the whole world. It's a mystery, right? I've never been good at, like, memorizing lyrics or knowing any of the lyrics. I've listened to songs for 20 years and not learned the lyrics.
0: So you're in a band. You're in seventh grade. You discover music. Tell me uh, what happens next in your story.
1: So, yeah, seventh grade, I definitely was a square, I suppose. I de- Like, kids were definitely starting to smoke weed and drink a little bit and fool around. I didn't really know how to do those things while still dealing with my parents. Like I was definitely afraid of my mom and my dad just getting mad. So I would avoid those things, even though I wanted to try everything. And I definitely remember thinking when I was in sixth grade or seventh grade, I understand why people do drugs. It's like, because I don't want to be thinking what I'm thinking anymore. I don't want to feel this anymore. So like if that changes it. That's cool. But I definitely didn't have the balls or courage to actually do it at that age. And that's probably a good thing. But. So, yeah, junior high was very uneventful for me. Nothing happened. It was just like, (laughs) I played music. That was a big thing, but nothing like socially really happened. I had some friends and then I think freshman year of high school, I smoked weed for the first time. Didn't really get high, didn't notice what happened. I didn't really drink at all until my sophomore year because my brother went to college and then I went down and visited him sometime in September or something. And he got me drunk. And that was the first time I ever got drunk. And that was a very life-changing moment for me because some part of me knew that if I could change the way I feel, that would be awesome. And this did. It was like very euphoric. And I had confidence and felt like I was more chatty. It was great. And I was like, I'm going to do this more on the weekends or whenever I can, just do it. I know I shouldn't like do it all the time, but... It's definitely a good thing in my life. So it's going to be a regular thing now.
0: So you're a couple of years away from your parents getting divorced now. And you mentioned that there's this underlying sort of feeling that you're trying to get some release from, it sounds like. What was the underlying feeling now that you can look back? Was it still related to the divorce or who were you sort of on the inside?
1: Well, it was anger and depression. That was from that divorce because I was the way I was understanding that situation I felt like I should be very angry and very sad and that combined with this sort of like we don't talk about it none of my siblings and I really talked about their feelings I did the most but when I did most people seemed annoyed in my family and like don't be selfish and bring your feelings into this and so that's how I took it and I didn't have any sort of therapy or like meditation or something to help me realize that I'm not my feelings it was just more like this is all encompassing but I have no outlet for it so I felt trapped and pent up inside and angry I didn't realize any of this at the time though but looking back this is what it was so any sort of release which music provided but that's not really good enough when you're going through it it doesn't feel like it's enough you need some more and alcohol was the answer for a few years And my social life blossomed in high school. So there was that, like the family emotional stuff. And then there started becoming the high school issues, which was like girls trying to be cool and fit in. And I was definitely like on the shy side and awkward. And I didn't really know how to handle girls, even though I wanted to be with them, but (laughs) it was awkward. So that was like a source of anxiety for me. So again, drinking helped me feel less anxious, help me feel cool and confident sometimes, but it didn't help with the depression. It kind of just like when I was drunk or getting drunk, I was feeling good, but then in between, the depression would get worse. My friendships with dudes were good, I would have like sort of pseudo relationships with girls. They never really felt amazing because I didn't know anything, and I don't think many people did, but I took it hard. I think I took everything hard, it was always like what's wrong with you, man? Like, you can't just be like perfect or something. Everything, I took it as like an ego blow. That's how I felt.
0: That's how you felt is essentially your your internal monologue was saying that, why can't you be perfect and deal with the rest of the situations? And sounds like a pretty normal high school life.
1: I think I wish that was more like Ferris Bueller, but definitely it was more like the other guy, the best friend.
0: Cameron Fry. Yeah,
1: definitely leaning towards him. Yeah. Fry. Fry.
0: (laughs) So you got sort of an introverted personality and it sounds like you're still holding on to some of the things that happened earlier in your life with your family situation. You're starting to discover alcohol. You have music as a release. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with music as you got a little older.
1: Well, the good thing about being introverted is that you have no problem spending long periods of time alone. and you can do whatever you want with that time because you enjoy it. And so I practiced guitar and I, I wrote lyrics and I think I wrote a few songs by freshman year. We had a ska band that we started called Optimist Prime and I wrote six songs. They were like horrible, but they were good for someone who was in ninth grade. I think the lyrics were kind of like passive aggressive. I was talking about my divorce, but like trying to like, act like they weren't at the same time kind of emo but like the music was
0: ish. so let's let's break that up first off why'd you pick ska uh,
1: it's just popular at the time I, th- I mean i didn't like think oh this is popular let's get into it but it was just like i happen to be into a lot of ska bands like Bless and jake and five iron frenzy and real big fish and they all have like three words Oh, and muster Plug, those two words, but yeah, they were good ska bands, and it was a popular thing in the mid to late 90s, Skankin' Pickle.
0: Did you say Skankin' Pickle?
1: Yeah, Skankin' Pickle.
0: Is that a band, or is it a...
1: That is a ska band, too. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, that music was... It was fun, too, because like you'd have horns, and then you'd play the guitar on the upbeat, so it was kind of like reggae, so it was kind of dancey, but then it was faster. It's kind of like teenager music because it's like really kind of goofy, but it was really fun at the time. And I think we thought it was kind of edgy.
0: So you got this type of music that you said. It's fun, a little edgy, kind of high schoolish, maybe a little sophomoric. And then you're writing the lyrics. Yeah. And and I think you mentioned that they were a little passive-aggressive. Do you remember any of the lyrics from any of those songs? I'm putting you in the Wayback Machine now.
1: I don't remember the specific lyrics. I remember like a lot of songs were kind of tied into the divorce, and that was true. One song was kind of like criticizing the popular people in school. Oh, you're all so superficial type of song. Like I don't know what the lyrics were, but it was that sort of vibe. Like, why don't you get it? Like Why don't you wake the fuck up? Very common theme among high school punk fans.
0: Sounds like a very popular theme amongst all high school kids that aren't in the popular crowd. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Exactly. I wish I was in that crowd, man. I wish. But, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would cringe if I heard it, but I mean, it was good though. It was like, you actually made something. And that was, I think to some people impressive, just the fact you made something. And the the fact that we as a group of friends, like made something happen together. That was looking back, that's kind of surprising. Wow. We worked together. We did it. So that was the biggest thing that I had that meant the most to me during that period of time. And I pretty much, we continued it doing it throughout high school. In freshman year, it was Ska, and then sophomore year, it started changing a little. Actually, I think it was Ska the whole time, but it started morphing into emo because I was getting more into bands like Jimmy World and The Get Up Kids and Dashboard Confessional. It really spoke to me because it was all about betrayal and heartbreak and insensitivity and relationships and that was like what i was obsessed with that i would go over in my mind i would go over my parents divorce in my mind over and over like why why was it what went wrong so i could avoid that and then i would like get dumped by a girl and i would like what happened what's wrong with me and then i would write a song about it and listen to music about it just being obsessed with it jimmy was a great band their newest album is pretty good but that was my type of thing
0: at the time no that's great all right so you got a band tell me a little bit about the social side who were the bandmates and what was your social life like it was cool because like i've
1: always got along with guys really well i've been kind of dorky into movies into music and i'm not really into video games i like sports but just i like guys who like just want to fuck around and laugh and it was really fun hanging out with a bunch of guys and they're still my core group of friends even now and there was a few girls too who are great friends now and i think i was just more maybe intimidated by girls and just awkward because i thought they were different or something so you had to uh, talk to them differently or something i get it now i understand what the error in my ways but uh, (laughs) at the time that was where i was at good so socially it was like just fun like we were just always goofing around and we would drink but that wasn't our main thing we mostly like just make jokes and just have fun and
0: be an idiot high school kids
1: yeah it's the best thing ever i don't regret any of it maybe some of the drinking but if i could change anything i would just have more fun but i think i was too emo or too neurotic and that was the only thing i think about if i could be less neurotic that would be more fun so yeah Playing in the band definitely had this built-in social society thing. We'd play shows at churches and rec centers, and people would come for some reason. It was like almost you didn't really have to try that hard to make it to publicize it, and people would still come. It was just there'd be four bands from my high school and a few others, and it would just be awesome. And so, I wouldn't say that I felt like a rock star at all because I was never like that confident in what i was doing it was more just like well we're doing this and let's try to make it good and the happy side effect of that was that there was like a lot of people to know and hang out with so i had that going on and then me and my friends would party a lot my dad would let us hang out a lot he would be gone sometimes and so we would drink at my house a lot or we would just go to other people's houses and just drink on the weekends and then as we got older in high school, we'd do it more and more frequently and and try things. And it became like, this is our thing. As a group of friends, this is our thing. We have to get fucked up. And I wasn't aware of any negative consequences at the time. It just felt normal. This is what needed to happen. But I think there were warning signs as I look back on what was happening. I wasn't necessarily happier. I was just like in these moments where I felt good.
0: Yeah, it sounds like youthful experimentation. Doesn't sound like anything on the surface that I think a lot of people would reflect on in their high school experience. You know, like I experimented with alcohol in high school, not that this is about me, but I sort of felt that it made social situations more comfortable and exciting. And it was dangerous because you're underage. Anyway, this isn't about me.
1: No, that's totally it because you're doing something illegal, but also it's just harder to get booze. So it was like an adventure just to get it. And once you got it, it was like, yes, we have it. Let's drink it. So it felt like just this big experience, which as you get older, obviously, just becomes like something regular. And oftentimes it becomes a problem. But it was a big rush every time. And yeah, I got caught up in the hype of being a high schooler. And then every year you got older, you got a little bit more caught up in it. I got caught up in it. And my senior year it was like I'm a senior man life's good I like I feel like I'm cool or something because I know a lot of people who go out and do fun and it was great but it was also like you just think for me I like this just get caught up in the fantasy of things and for me it was just like I didn't see anything beyond that. and of course life goes on life moves on so I didn't even like really think about what I was gonna do for college like I said I didn't really have great grades and I didn't get into any school that I applied to, and I didn't really like really think about it. I was just like, "This is the next thing." But of course, the whole bottom of the social life fell out below me. Like I just, when college started, it was so different that it was almost traumatizing to me. Like, what happened to all my friends? And
0: so, walk me through where you went. Where did you end up? What was the environment like? Well,
1: my brother went to UCLA, so he said if I go to. Santa Monica Community College, which is like 20 minutes away, that I could live with him and his friends. He was a senior by then. So I did that. And then I had a bunch of friends who actually ended up going to UCLA. But socially, it kind of wasn't that great for me because the friends from Burlingame were like having these cool dorm experiences, or at least that's what I imagined happening. And I was felt like an outsider. And then with my brother, they were just a little different from me. They're more like intellectual and more like a different sensibility. So I felt kind of alienated from them and just from everything. And I felt lonely and depression was high. I still had some friends, like I said, and I got to hang out with them. And I'm grateful that they were there because without them, I don't even know what would happen. I'm not the type of person who just goes out and makes friends. So it was a letdown from high school, big time. And I pretty much stopped playing in a band we kind of like tried to do some things but it wasn't like the same i like still was focusing on music in college studying music i was studying to transfer into the ethnomusicology program at ucla but that would be two years at santa monica community college so it was just not the greatest time in my life because like i said i didn't give too much forethought i just wasn't Thinking things through, I was just like, all right, well, this is what I'm doing. Like, I don't even know, I'm thinking about it. So, like I said, I was depressed and was still drinking a lot, but it just got more depressing. It was like I was lonely, but then getting fucked up. And I was hanging out with a bunch of seniors in college who were like, were just different types of people. And I felt like I just didn't fit in. And then I started experimenting with other drugs. I remember me and my friends who were at UCLA with me, we tried shrooms. And because I wasn't in a good place, it was a horrible trip. It was devastating. I always hear psychedelics open up the mind for people and help them become more enlightened. But for me, it like opened up my mind to my darkness even more. It was like, oh, you thought you were depressed then? You should check this out. And then I was even more depressed. It was like devastating. And I can't explain why. But I did hear that it was a common thing for people who took shrooms and they were in a bad place. Like You shouldn't do it. If you're in a bad place, don't take shrooms. If anything, take acid. I've heard that's less emotional.
0: Just for the record, we're not encouraging anybody to take acid. (laughs) That's true. I'm not encouraging it. Obviously. Mm -hmm. I'm serious about that. I don't encourage people to take acid, but everybody makes their own life decisions. Did you know going into this when you were experimenting that you were still depressed or depressed? I don't know if from the same thing. Was that on your mind and the reason for the experimentation? Or was it sort of underlying and not something you had addressed?
1: I don't think I knew what depression was. I wasn't happy. I think that was pretty obvious. But a lot of people in my life growing up, family members, had a lot of depression and nobody ever acknowledged it or diagnosed Mm -hmm. it. And so I don't think it was like a thing that anybody was aware of. Mm -hmm. It's like I just thought this was normal life and I was just not good enough at it, at life. That was the reason why like some people were doing better than I was, or like happier. The reason I did Trooms was because my good friends were getting into it and I just wanted them to approve of me. So I was going to do it too. And it was important to me that they liked me. And I thought that that was one of those things that might mess with that. So I don't think they're that shallow, but it was just, that was the way I felt.
0: You're seeking acceptance. People are experimenting, you want to be in the in crowd, so you're going to experiment too. Yeah. It sounds like you had a a bad trip on shrooms that specifically stuck out in your head. What were some of the other things that you experimented with?
1: Well, I think the next year started, I tried cocaine a few times. But that was like, you try it just so you can say you did it. Like at that age, like a sophomore year, in high clothes. Cocaine seemed more like, this is what either really rich like stockbrokers do like living the fast paced like adult life like when you're in college you just kind of like you got to try it because like you want to be able to say that you tried it so that's what i did didn't really like it but i think ecstasy too and then it just got more progressive from there it's like it became a cultural thing with our friends is like oh you should be open to things like what's your problem are you afraid Like god forbid you're afraid or god forbid like you think you're better than me for not doing it or something like that and i just didn't want to be any of those things that This is all like my line of thinking. Mm -hmm. So, throughout the years in college, the drug use just became more progressive and I tried all sorts of stuff. I don't know everything that I tried, but sometime near the end of college, I finally tried Oxycontin, which seemed way different from everything else that I ever tried. I remember the first time I took it, I was like in a car ride from San Francisco back down to LA with three of my friends two girls and a guy and the girls were up front one was driving and one was in the passenger seat and me and my friend were like in the back and he like he was just like hey man you want some and it was like uh oxycon i had no idea what it was and he just gave me a very small chunk of pill like not even a whole one and i swallowed it he like it changed me i was like this is the answer this is it this is how i'm supposed to feel this is like the whole time i should have been taking this because one tiny little piece of a pill can make me feel this way are you kidding this is it and it's a pill it's something that's prescribed from doctors it's not like heroin little did I know that it's exactly like heroin it is heroin but my thinking was like oh this is just like a prescription med like what could be so wrong with that so it's just something you should just like if you have the problem that I have which is I don't like the way I feel you should be able to answer that with something I thought that was the answer I've heard it described as like being like a warm blanket over you or the feeling of like you've had a long day of work and then get in your put some sweats on or something. It's just like that for your emotions. It's just kinda like, ah yeah. Yeah, it's all good.
0: Okay, we're gonna stop here for today. I hope you've enjoyed meeting Hart, and in our next episode, he's going to tell us how his experimentation with Oxycotton grew into a full-blown addiction and how it changed his relationship with his family and his love for music. A special thanks to our editor, Panos Stupas, Chris Smith from knit.audio for helping us promote this podcast, and we'll be back soon with more of Heart's story. In the meantime, take care of each other. This episode of the Along Road Home podcast was brought to you by Pulse, Pulse is the rapid response service that comes to your rescue when you need help setting up or fixing a connected device. Need to get your phone or tablet fixed? Pulse will send you a certified repair technician in less than an hour. They complete your repair while you wait for about what it would cost to have your device fixed by its original manufacturer. Go to Pulse.com, that's P-U-L-S dot com, and use the promo code PODCAST for $20 off your first order. Pulse your rapid response service for the ups and downs of your digital life.